Hey guys, what's up? It is week 349. I have a bunch of reviews for you, so let's hop right in. The first one is from Radiance Films, and this is The Sunday Woman. And I didn't get a chance to check this one out right when it was released, but now I'm getting to it. And uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of Italian films, of course. This is more of a thriller, but it has like a dark comedy streak. Honestly, so essentially this is a murder mystery, and it follows kind of three main characters here, and uh, Jacqueline Bisset, uh, uh John-Louis, um, I always have trouble with his name, uh, Trignanot, who pops up in a couple giallo. Italian Jolly, of course. You know he's in um, what Death uh, Laid an Egg, if I'm not mistaken, and he's, I th- believe he's in one of the Umberto Lenzi Car- Carol Baker ones, and of course uh, Marcello uh, Mestriani, who is in La Dolce Vita. So and also um, a really good movie from 1981, uh, Ghost of Love, with a score by Riz Ortolani. So uh, this one I popped in, and I was like, okay. So I immediately caught my attention. Uh, it has this kind of art crowd, this kind of sophisticated kind of group, uh, do kind of very uh, high flute you know um what's the word you would say for sure um very very uh it's right at the tip of my tongue pretentious most definitely pretentious so there's a murder right in the beginning and we're kind of introduced to this kind of um almost like a creep character he's kind of sleuthing around looking under girls dresses saying that he's going to be rich soon and as uh the film progresses he's pretty much killed off in the very beginning and there's a detective and uh, uh mastriani comes in and he starts to start to question people and there's a letter that basically kind of makes the only suspects possibly Bissette and um, John uh, Louis or Louis. Um, so there are the two main suspects. John Louis also has some secrets of his own um, that start to unfold that make him a little bit more interesting. And we have these really cool kind of touches that are a little bit different. So when the detective imagines somebody the killer, we actually see them um, using the the weapon at, at a certain point in the kind of flash that he has with him, which is very fun. Because the weapon was actually a very like a bronze, like a, a statue, a wooden carving, or was it a heavy duty kind of stone statue of, of a penis? So we have that there as well. So there's like a certain element of absurdity to the entire thing, honestly. And uh, of course, you know, they start to look into it as well and start to argue amongst each other. And there's a great scene where there's a police lineup with all these characters who are possibly the murderers, you know, the murderer the suspects and they just start pointing fingers at each other and you see like how much you know they're supposed to be friends on the outside and all this stuff but you know when push comes to shove they become just like anyone else this kind of animals so um yeah it's 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 a really well done film it's well acted it's well shot it's beautifully shot and the whole thing kind of climaxes or the whole big point at the end of the story the the figuring out who the killer is and all this stuff kind of takes place at this like um you know like market on the docks um kind of deal where there's a lot of markets out there and all the characters are there and uh a little bit of a tragic movie, actually. Um, and, and the dialogue amongst each other is really great. It does remind me of La Dolce Vita because you're getting a glimpse at these kind of rich people, but uh, they're under the examination of, you know, a murder. I, I wouldn't say it's an all-out. I guess it's a murder mystery, but it doesn't feel like your typical jolly. even doesn't feel like your typical police procedural. The kills aren't super elaborate. It's not a focus point. It's more of a mystery. I would say dark comedy, um, satire, basically satirical. I wouldn't say satire, but it's satirical. They're basically definitely making comments on this kind of crowd, this kind of group of people, and all these kind of things as well. Um, there is a couple murders in the film. Um, 
I really like this one. I thought it was really well done. I, I wish I wouldn't have put it off as long as I did. Um, and like I said, this one keeps your attention, and it's 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 on the long side. It's almost two hours. Um, it never. It, it's what um, an hour and fifty minutes or something like that. It, it doesn't it doesn't keep you you know bored. It, you're on the edge of your seat trying to figure out who did it and why and all these things. And the reveal is pretty good, too. Although, it would be very hard to figure out who who was the actual murderer by watching. Like, I'd be very hard-pressed. I would have never guessed in a million years, you know. I mean, you could, but um, I also really like that there's this angle here. Because, you know, a lot of these Italian movies that you watch, or even some of the other Euro ones, there's always, like, the prostitution road, right? Like, this isolated kind of country road where people just drive up and there's, like, trash uh, bins with fire. And it's always the same, like, prostitute bin. Like I feel like in Italy, this is like generally how it was done back in the day. It's so, and they have this kind of aspect in here, which has a little bit of comedy as well. Um, so yeah, I would really recommend the Sunday Women. As far as special features are concerned, we have a 2K restoration, of course, and then we have um, uh, interview, a newly filmed interview with academic and Italian cinema expert Richard Dyer, archival interview with cinematographer Luciano Tavoli, newly filmed interview with academic and screenwriter Giancomo uh, Scarpelli, who discusses the life and work of his father, Ferio Scarpelli, and his writing partner, uh, Arnago um, Incocracci. Archival French TV interview with Jean-Louis uh, Trignanot. Um, please, somebody help me with that name. I, it's just always his last name has been very hard for me. Jean-Louis Trint. Uh, tr um, tr French is my least favorite language to say. Trailer reversible sleeve featuring designs based on original posters. Limited edition 24 booklet featuring new writing on film by uh, Marcia Gelli uh, Sanson and reprint of an archival piece of the film. So, um, another thing about this actor here for uh, fans of this channel and, and, and Warren Oates is Warren Oates claimed that this guy was his favorite actor. And he, he's quite good, and he keeps, takes these kind of wild roles and everything like this. Um, a role back in, what, in the 70s, you know, it's not exactly the most popular role a lot of actors would want to take. And he does a really good job here, too. So there's like a, a homosexual character and angle in here as well that's kind of kept as a mystery um, under the shadows and everything. But just a great one. Uh, Radiance Films is kind of like one of these companies that's just always putting out really quality stuff. And I'm glad. And they were very busy last year. And I uh, hope they continue into 2024 as well. Okay, the next one here is another one from Radiance Films, and this is Elegant Beast. Um, this is a Japanese film from 1962, and I did not know much about it. I am a fan of Japanese film, of course, and this time frame is a little bit different. You know, uh, it's it's not too long after World War II, so their kind of their 60s output is a little unique and everything like that. And, and in the Japanese culture, you always have those films with honor, right, and, and integrity and stuff like that. So, this movie follows a whole entire group and a whole entire family of con artist, which is really cool. And in fact, um, it kind of reminded me of, you know, there's films where the whole family's con artist, right? But they're more like, I would say sometimes comedic, sometimes crazy, but it reminded me of Parasite, right? Where you had that whole family living underneath the house. But this is a little different because these guys are literally causing everything. So the mother and father live in this nice apartment, and in the very beginning, like there's kind of pulls a fast one on you. These, this uh, businessman comes in. Um, these people are coming into the apartment constantly, talking to the mother and father, and saying, "Listen, your son owes us a lot of money. He did some really awful things." And the parents apologize profusely. We, our son would never do something like that. Yada yada yada. As it progresses, we learn that not only is the son really a con artist or really a crook, um, they are as well. And so is the daughter. And they're playing this angle in this big corporation where they have all stolen money. And as it progresses, we kind of learn more about the situation. We learn more about the side players. As in, And then pretty soon, every time a character comes in and is revealed, for the most part, you learn that 
they have a side hustle as well. They're a swindler. They have something up their sleeve. So no one is really clean in this. From the family that you know is dirty right in the beginning to everybody that you assume is okay. It's not necessarily the case. Um, there is a, a obviously um, a, some foreshadowing in here. I wouldn't even say foreshadowing. It's just how the story unfolds and it's said before it's going to happen. And it, it happens just like that. Um, it, it's just kind of a, a scene that you kind of expect and you're waiting for. And the way it's done is really is, is good. It's unique. Um, in a way, I did expect to see something um, that I've seen in other films, and they don't do it that way. They don't exactly show the the scene that I'm talking about towards the end of the film, but it, it's pretty effective nonetheless. The acting's great, and it has to be in this film because really, you're you're in one location almost 90% of the movie, if not the entire film. Honestly, they're in this apartment. And they're coming and going, and the apartment is the focal point of the film, and, and there's just characters discussing everything like that and coming in and out of the place. So, essentially, you're in one location with about, you know, seven or eight different actors and actresses kind of carrying this entire film. And the way they unfold the story is unique. It's, it's very interesting. Um, and they also gets a little surreal at times. Like I just talked about the last movie, Sunday Woman, where we kind of get the visualization of the killer as if it was possibly that killer holding the, the statue of the, you know, the genitalia hitting somebody. And this one, there is this long hallway or kind of down staircase, stairwell. And um, characters will be walking down the stairwell and it's all, it turns white. It happens a couple times and you kind of get their inner monologue and it's almost like a nightmare or a dream sequence or whatever they're trying to, you know, do. And, and it's unique. Um, and you, and it's just the scene, the film does that a couple times, which is completely different from anything else in the movie. Almost uh, a break from reality. Because the film is very, it's told in such a realistic, you know, matter-of-fact way. And this could be a stage play. Really, it's very much stage play. And that might not be for everyone. But I, I walked away thinking it was a really well-done film, really well-acted, really interesting with a lot of characters. And, and there's a great character in here as well. There's so many pieces to the puzzle as, the, as it goes on. And like this one, this one woman who was involved with the son, it plays a big part. And I like that the affinity that the mother has for her. She's like, she's smart. It's just, it's very funny in, in kind of a, a twisted kind of way. But regardless, a uh, great film with good features on here as well. Interview with film critic uh, Toshiyato Sato. Appreciation by filmmaker uh, Toshiaki. To, to, Toyota. Visual essay by critic Tom Mess on post-war architecture in Japanese cinema. Trailer, newly improved English subtitles, reversible sleeve featuring original newly commissioned artwork, limited edition booklet featuring new writing by Midori, Surin, and contemporary archival writing. So, uh, another good one. This is AB locked, um, so it can't be played on um, C, I think, which is C would be like maybe Australia. But uh, regardless, check out Elegant Beast. Good stuff. 1962. Recommended. Okay, the next one is a doozy, and I had to pop this in. I've covered this uh, probably a couple times on this show before. It's one of my all-time favorite movies. Um, I've covered 1994, and it's a no-brainer that it's the best horror film 94, maybe one of the best horror films of the 90s, if not the best. And this is uh, Michele Soave's uh, Cemetery Man, uh, or Della Morte, Della More. Um, excellent movie. This is based on the comics, essentially, kind of, it's a, a, a book written by the guy who did the comics, Dylan Dog, and the way they explain this is kind of, kind of interesting, because I'm not familiar with Dylan Dog, which is an Italian comic book, of course, it's very popular in Italy. The character's design was based off Rupert Everett, who stars in Cemetery Man, they actually got him to do it, and, um, so the character of, uh, Francesco, uh, Della Morte was, uh, a kind of a, a twin, what they say, of a character that was before 
Dylan Dog. So it's like they're twins on the, you know, same person on different sides of the coin, the way they explain it. I would literally have to read the book and read the comic to understand fully what they're, exactly what they're talking about because all the archival interviews and stuff and all these different interviews with all the people on here kind of explains all this. So um, Francesco Delamore is, uh, or Delamorte is a caretaker at a cemetery where people come back to life after seven days they're buried. Um, his sidekick is Nogi, who was a, fr- a guy who was in a French band. Um, he also pops up in, I think he's in, geez, he's in one of, um, is he in Brotherhood of the Wolf as a prison guard? I think he is. Um, so essentially they take care of the bodies. He's a mute. He only responds with na and ya. Um, and one day, uh, Francisco sees this beautiful woman in Anna Fauci and he becomes obsessed. Um, his, her, his, uh, her husband has just died. So he starts an affair with her in this beautiful cemetery. And of course, um, tragedy strikes. It's a very tragic movie in, in a way for Francisco. He's just meant to be, you know, obsessed with love and death is what people were saying in interviews. That's what he's there for. And that's his destiny, his fate. And, um, um, in the very beginning of this movie, where we see a snow globe throughout the film, and the very end, it ends in that snow globe. And and I've always felt that this movie, people always try to break it down and say what they think it means, and 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 it, it it's something that I think can mean a lot to different people. It's it's one of those movies, so it's not your straightforward film. It's very you know philosophical in a lot of ways, as well as being darkly humorous and absurdist and beautiful and gothic and violent and um, just overall amazing. Um, so so honestly. I feel like it's just a movie that you can never escape your destiny, your fate. You know, Francisco's supposed to do this. He's supposed to take care of the dead. He's supposed to be alone. And that's what he's going to be for the rest of his life. This time I'm really through with love, as he says in the movie. Um, third time, not a charm. So so it's just kind of these ideas like that that just really drive this story. And this movie gets better on multiple viewings. This is a movie that I've been a fan of for many years since I was... You know 14 15 years old and it's just one i've re- watched repeatedly many times and it's amazing to have uh, this in 4k it looks gorgeous because michele Sawave was an excellent director a lot of people said he was the last great hope for italian cinema in reality you know people are like well you know this movie whatever he could have kept going on making movies i i know he had a tragedy in his family but he made tv italy switched to television that's what generally happened People were no longer making films in Italy. They were making television shows. So when people are like, well, that, that, yeah, that's what happened. Okay? From the most part, from my understanding is that Italy shifted from television. They no longer went to the movie theaters anymore. They stayed home and watched TV. So <laughs> that's why the Italian film market kind of died. Um, along with, you know, these guys moved and transitioned to TV. Um, Michele Suave, of course, directed four feature films. The first one being in 87. And it was directed, uh, it was produced by uh, Joe Diamato who and his company Film Mirage, Stage Fright, excellent Italian slasher. I will not call it a jello. It is an Italian slasher movie. Um, very gory, very entertaining. Then he went on to make a semi-sequel to Demons 2, or the Demons films, called The Church, which is an excellent, kind of crazy, gothic, uh, gory, weird, surreal, excellent film. And then he made The Sec in 1991 with Herbert Lom, a really good film as well about a sec, you believe it. It's kind of Rosemary's Baby style, right? In a kind of vein of a Roman Polanski movie. Some really good imagery, excellent film as well. And then, of course, he made Cemetery Man, his, 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 his masterpiece, if you ask me. And it's his only film, I would say, that has this absurdist kind of quality about it. And what they said was that it kind of was a mixture of this British kind of humor and this weird kind of Italian cinema as well. And uh, that's what drew Rupert Everett into it, if, you, if you're watching the interviews and stuff like that. And 
and, and it's just interesting. You know, the the humor is so bizarre because you know, um, if you look at Michele Suave's other films, they are they're they're playful in the camera work and stuff, like a Dario film, and they're just really well done, and the artistry is insane. But they're not silly. You know, like they don't they don't have that absurdist comedy element. And I think the Cemetery Man does, like a tragedy of airs, a tragedy, you know, tragedy and comedy go hand in hand. And this is both. This is perfectly both. And to tell a true tragedy, you must have comedy in some ways, right? And I feel like this is the perfect combination. Um, there's just a lot of great characters in here as well. I'd, I'd be a jerk not to mention Mickey Knox, who pops up at Ghoulies too. He used to do voice work in Italy, dubbing over people and stuff like that. And he, this is probably his finest performance because he gets to be funny. You know, and he's great in it. His delivery, especially when he's going back and forth with the mayor, and the mayor's having all these terrible ideas about things, um, obviously poking fun at, you know, politics and polit politicians, and who, who likes politicians except politicians, and they probably don't even like each other either. But it's very funny. The mayor is a complete idiot, and uh, the, the interactions that Mickey Knox has with him are great. He's like, vote for someone who knows loss. Or something, when everyone's suffering, vote for someone who's lost everything. And he's like, what do you think? He's like, well, it's an idea, Mickey Knox. He's just so great. And, and he he's kind of different, kind of playing like this kind of hard-nosed detective. But as the movie progresses, Francis, uh, uh, Rupert Everett uh, commits more and more crimes, and it seems like he just walks away with them. He gets away with them more and more. No matter what he does, he tries to get caught at one point. He tries to, you know, escape from this life and he cannot I, I i just love this film so much these zombies look excellent a lot of times they have like uh weeds and roots and grass growing on them and you see ants crawling on them it's just a different kind of zombie you know it's not your romero zombie it's a it's a supernatural zombie it's a it's such a, a a movie that's just filled with like so many cool little details um and funny moments too that are, are brilliant um the biker uh, the, the biker zombie that's actually intertwined with this bike and death is just a wonderful thing, right? In fact, some of the zombies seem to, like, be the Beetlejuice MO, right? This is what happens when he dies. This is what happens when I die. You know, that whole speech she gives. If I would know, if I would have known then what I know now, I wouldn't have had my little accident. You see, so, like, people die and they become, like, the thing, like, intertwined with their bike, which is such a cool thing. Um, and it, it's got a wicked dark sense of humor too i mean like there, there's a whole group of uh, bikers that uh, young bikers that crash into a, a group of nuns and boy scouts on a bus and they all die and they all come back at the same time it's just like so fucking dark and silly at the same time brilliant one of my all-time favorite movies one of the best horror movies ever made it's not for everybody somebody could say i really don't like it and i would say you really don't get it and that's fine there's stuff i don't get maybe maybe you could tell me why it sucks maybe you could break it down why it's a piece of crap i'll never agree I'll listen to you, but I won't agree because I, I, I just adore this film. Uh, Rupert Everett is excellent in there. Um, Anna Fauci is great. Um, they both look spectacular. Um, this is the only movie I could think of where people have sex on a tombstone, and uh, it's, it's wonderful. I mean, <laughs> what can I say, right? Um, Doggy is, is just uh, a wonderful character, very memorable, tragic character. I, I love this movie so much. Mickey Knox is excellent. Everybody in here, the special effects are great. Uh, it's just weird and different, and I've, I've had other people I've heard interpret it a certain way, and it's like, yeah, they, they could be right too. Everybody's right and everybody's wrong, I guess. It doesn't matter. That's not what I look for in this film. It's what I pull away from it. The 4K looks great looks wonderful you can see everything it's the only good release this movie's ever had to be honest i mean the dvd was fine from anchor bay but uh the shameless blu-ray was not great nope the sound was terrible the japanese blu-ray had better sound it had a 5.1 mix and looked about the same not a great release and i know there was a german one too they're all crud toss them out um this says dolby atmos dolby atmos sounds excellent looks excellent one of my favorite releases of the year 
Um, one of the best movies ever. Um, such a cool thing that it's finally out. And and hopefully we get Stage Fright on, on 4K as well. I think Severin's probably working on that one too. But as far as the features are concerned, we got a shitload. So we have audio commentary by director Michele Soave and screenwriter Gianni Romali. Um, At the Graves, interview with Michele Soave. I listened to that and that was interesting too. How he talks about adapting it and all this kind of stuff like that. And uh, how they worked the ending. How the ending was kind of made on the spot. It wasn't in the script. A Love and Death interview with actor Rupert Everett. Love seeing him on there. That was kind of a good get because he's a busy guy. Uh, she interviewed with uh, actress Anna Fal- uh, Fulci. And I love that because she plays three different characters. This is another interesting thing that I absolutely love. And, and, and I feel like her playing the three characters remind me so much of Possession, right? Where you have, uh, uh, you know, um, geez, Isabella Johnny playing the two characters, right? They just look the same, man. It's just, it's just a weird kind of thing. And then disc three, this is a Blu-ray as well. It's a 4K and a Blu-ray in here. A Matter of Life and Death interview with Johnny Romoldi. That was good. Uh, the screenwriter, he talks about it. And he talks about being a homebody and how he never actually met the writer of the comic book and the actual book because he's a homebody. All this kind of stuff like that. Um, Graveyard Shift interview with cinematographer Mario uh, Marchetti. And he talks about him and Michele Suave talking about German expressionism, horror films and stuff like that. And uh, Faust and having the moon in the background. You're like, geez, you know what? I can see that now. I can see that I never thought of that, but it's 100% there. And that's really cool stuff. We have Head Over Heels interview with actress Fabia Formica. The Living Dead Mare interview with actor Stefano Marciarelli. Music from the Underground interview with the composer Ricardo B- uh, Bicio. Resurrection interview with special effects artist Sergio Stivaletti. I gotta mention Stivaletti is one of the man. He worked a lot on Dario stuff, did a lot of great effects, one of the best from Italy. Cemetery Gates interview with set designer Antonio uh, Gillig. And the sets are amazing here. They shot him in two different cemeteries, so excellent stuff. Grave Encounters interview with Alan Jones, author of Profondo Argento. And of course, we have the soundtrack. Um, just an amazing release from Severn Films. Um, like, I know people are like, it's so much money. It's, uh, it's, there's some movies that I'm like, don't care the price. Don't give a shit. Cemetery Man's one of them. You know, top 20 favorite horror films ever made. Maybe top 10. I'd really have to break it down, but it's just a great film. Love it. And uh, now it's on 4K. Uh, just so quotable. Um, fun, too. It's fun. And, you know, in the United States, it didn't do as well as it should have been. But this is a movie that didn't do as well as it should have everywhere. But it gained a cult uh, following. And for good reason. I mean, you know, it, it's kind of crazy. I, it's so weird, like, cult movies now. Is there such a thing? I guess Greasy Strangler. Is Greasy Strangler a cult movie? I would say maybe. I don't know. But uh, it's hard to say. But Della Morte, Della Morte. Um, St. Francis of Death. That's his name. Yeah, great movie. Um, that obviously means death and love, which... His parents made names in the film. Anyways, check this out. You need this release. Great stuff. Okay, the next one is also from Severn Films, and this is Raiders of the Living Dead. And this is from 1986. Now, originally, this was another movie made by, who is the director? Brett Piper, I believe. And he, he's made some cool stop-motion horror stuff. And I, I can't, a Draniac and stuff like that. Pretty, pretty you know, uh, good director on, on making micro-budget movies and stuff like that. So, um, basically, what this movie is, is they picked that movie up. I don't remember what it was called. Dying something. Um, and it wasn't a complete film. And it was, who's who's the producer who picked this up? Sorry, he's Sam Sherman. So he's kind of got a name. He's produced a lot of stuff. And what they did was they kind of filmed some new stuff brought back some actors added a soundtrack added a kick-ass song the living dead are after me uh the dead are after me or whatever it's so good i'll play it in the background it gets stuck in your head for days so thank you plus i'm sorry um but yeah so that's basically what they did here and i'd seen this movie years ago part of it at least it was one of these movies that i got the dvd 
and I started it and I just never finished it. I don't know why. I was probably like 14 and it just didn't grab my attention. It was kind of like Forever Evil where I was like, that movie too is just like, this is fun. This is cool. I can tell there's a lot of heart into it, but at the same time, it's not grabbing me 100%. So it's kind of a weird deal here. That's another movie I'd really like to revisit. Hopefully a Blu-ray comes out. I have the DVD, but waiting for the Blu-ray now. I waited this long. But so I watched this Raiders of the Living Dead and overall, it's an all right film. Um, so essentially what happens is there is uh, basically a chemical in the very beginning like we have this you know the plot is not exactly the most amazing original thing and plus it's kind of a patched together movie. We have this character that's kind of a he almost gets ran over this woman stops and helps him out and we learn that he's like a journalist and he's onto these uh, this company because they're doing some really shady stuff. It turns out they're doing experiments on the dead. So this guy has a bunch of zombies coming after him sparingly. At points he blows one's head off. Really cool effects and at the same time he kind of he meets this doctor who helps him out and the doctor has a kid and uh, a grandkid and a friend and they get involved and uh, of course I, I would be a goof not to mention that this is the most infamous thing about this movie is that the kid makes a laser out of a laser disc player and he shoots it in zombies it's ridiculously stupid but it's what happens um, yeah overall the movie is fun and cheesy and goofy and low budget but it's got some charm to it um, some of the effects are fine some of the effects are okay the ending is really ridiculous because the bad guy comes out out and he's like yes it's me and you're like you haven't been in this movie at all like you're, you're everybody's like i know there's a character that you're who you are and what you represent and we've been looking for you the whole time but like you've literally not been in this movie at all you, the first introduction of the main villain is the last 10 minutes of the movie he's like eh, eh, and he's just like everybody's acting like i mean they know he's but like the movie acts like everybody's like eh, but you're just like who the, what the fuck? so like overall it's okay I, I wasted way worse time on movies. I, I, it looks good and it sounds good, but what made me really like this movie is that song. That song in this movie, literally, it, it's so catchy and so fun, and you just immediately start dancing. This movie looks much older than 86, to be honest, when you're comparing like to other movies 86. I mean, it can't. It, it is and it isn't, right? Some of it's not in 86. Overall, Raiders of the Living Dead is a fun zombie movie. It's not in tremendously gory. It's more of family, kid-friendly, because we, of course, we have kids at the center, right? Kids at the center of this movie kind of uh, being kind of two of the biggest heroes. Overall, we have some... Uh Special features, of course. Audio commentary with director, producer Sam Shepard. Audio commentary with actor Robert uh, Duvido. Uh, um, Things to do in Jersey when you're dead. Interview with Fangoria writer Tim Ferrente, editor John Donaldson, and soundtrack composer George Edward Ott. I really like that. That was fun and cute. And you get to hear the history of the movie and how it got made. We have Dying Day, original cut. Dark Knight, second alternate version. Um, Dying Day is really poor quality. Of course, it's probably from a VHS master. And the opening is completely different. It's not even the same movie. It doesn't have the cool song, so it's different. That's the original Brett Pepper, Brett Piper, a movie that was not finished. Then we have uh, The Weird Stranger, short film produced by Samuel Shepard, and Dark Nights and Dying Days behind the scenes, Stills Gallery, and Documents of the Dead Production Gallery. So this sounds like it's up your alley if you're looking for something fun and cheap and relatively family friendly. Then Raiders of the Living Dead is probably for you. Okay, next up, we have another zombie film, a little bit different. This one's called The Dead One from 1961, another Severin film here. And, uh, yeah, this one's boasted as the first zombie film in color. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So this is directed by Barry Mano, and he did a lot of, like, Santa Claus movies in, incorporating Santa Claus. I'm not too familiar with his films, um, exploitation kind of director, I, I imagine, and, and, like, stuff and, and whatever it was. But, uh, so I put this in, and I was like, okay, we're, we're in for a zombie film. I'm a big zombie film. I love the look of him. He looks like something that would be a background zombie, a Return of the Living Dead, which I'm a big fan of. But uh, as I started this movie, I'm, I just, it's an hour, it's 68 minutes. 
And as it progressed, we got a gothic storyline here. We have this woman who lives in uh, New Orleans, which I love. That's a great setting for a zombie film. We incorporate the voodoo. We incorporate different styles of zombie, whatever. And it's a gothic tale, of course. So this, this guy's getting married. He's supposed to inherit this house from his cousin. She doesn't want anything of it. So she resurrects this zombie, um, Jonas, to take out you know the bride. So that he doesn't get the house, yada, yada, yada. That's kind of what we have here. What progresses is a lot of talking, a lot of arguing, a zombie killing someone probably at the 50-minute mark and then kind of just wandering a little bit. This movie is a non-event. This movie is nothing happens. And I'm not trying to be a jerk. It is incredibly slow. It's not super well acted or anything like that. It's like a Herschel Gordon-Lewis movie without gore. Right? That's a bad... I, I'm not trying to be a dick, okay? I just praise Severin for Cemetery Man and like them for Raiders of the Living Dead. This is not my jam. And I love zombies. It's interesting to see a color zombie movie from 1961. It's interesting to see the location that it has old voodoo. Besides that, there's not much going for this one. This is a rough film. This is a rough watch. Now, if you're a zombie completist, you gotta see it. Um, but what I will say about the disc is they cleaned it up. It looks pretty good. Um, and what I like about it is the special features here. We have an audio interview with distributor Sam Sher- Sherman. And he talks about how he got this movie. How basically the company that was uh, doing a print form of Master screwed up their movie and they lost the lost it. So he basically was going to get this one for free. He talks about having it stored in a place where winos used to pee all over the film elements. That's interesting. That's good. Sam Sherman, um, just hearing him talk was well worth it. We also have The Crazy, Wild, and Crazy Life of Barry Manho. Interview with author, filmmaker, C. Courtney Joyner, on writer, producer, director, Barry Manho. Um, is that how you say his name? Regardless, uh, Courtney Joyner is an expert on all this stuff. Um, he's done a lot of the Film Masters releases, rightfully so. He talks about his career and talks about how he got famous. Love hearing that. Love the history of these films. Love that kind of stuff. But as far as the film is concerned, I can't give this an, a good one. Um, you guys might have had this once. It was on a Shriek Show DVD called Blood of the Zombies. Um, now, I, I don't remember if I had that one or not. I might have. Um, I'd never seen it, certainly. Um, but uh, finally watched it now, and I cannot give the dead one a recommendation. But I will give the special features a recommendation. So it's up to you. Um, like I said, um, unless you like kind of like short, cheap crappy movies like i'm not one to laugh at movies for fun you know it's not my my thing like i i like some movies that people would consider crappy or bad or, or that they laugh at for fun i genuinely enjoy them but i understand this might be somebody's kind of thing it's not mine um i love the cover art love slip and boss slip right there and i like the special features but i can't not a, not not for me it's really kind of crummy Okay, next up, I had to check out the 4K of The Monster Squad, 1987, Fred Decker movie. One of my all-time favorites. See, I was a kid that grew up in a video store, so I always grabbed this movie, rented this a million times. Goonies, 85, Monster Squad, 87, Lost Boys, 87. I loved all three of those movies growing up. Was obsessed with them. Obsessed with the Universal Monsters from a very young age, from four. My grandpa got me hooked on them. You know, Dracula, Frankenstein, the Wolfman, the Creature, the Mummy. I was obsessed with all these guys. I used to do impressions of them um, throughout my entire childhood. Um... Yeah, I used to do a mean Wolfman, I'll tell you that. I used to have the jagged teeth, so I'd put them down like that, hide behind the claw, all that kind of stuff. So I was obsessed from a very young age. So when I saw this movie, probably around four or five, it was just, you know, perfect for me. Perfect, right? Now, of course, Fred Decker directed um, Night of the Creeps before, another amazing classic film. I didn't see that until I was probably about 10, 11, and I fell in love with that one, too. And then he went to go on to direct RoboCop 3, which kind of spelled disaster, right? But nobody really cared for RoboCop 3. Um, but, uh, Monster Squad is a, a cult film as well, you know, um, and 
there's just there's a, I'll get into that later. But so essentially, what we have here is the uh, the classic Dracula's bringing all the monsters back a hundred years ago. He failed to take over the Earth, and it was thrown into limbo. Now he has a chance to come back and take over the world. He brings in his 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 old gang, of course, the Frankenstein monster played by Tom Noonan, excellent actor. He's in stuff like, you know, Last Action Hero and a million other movies, um, Manhunter. And then we have, of course, Duncan Reiniger as Dracula, also a very good Dracula. Um, one of the best Draculas, honestly. An underrated Dracula performance. And like he said in the interviews, big shoes to fill. I mean, you got to go against Christopher Lee, Bela Lugosi, uh, Shrek, Max Shrek. So a lot of people played Nosferatu or Dracula. So a lot of, a lot of good performances. And I, I think he's one of the better ones, honestly. Um, and then, of course, we have the Wolfman. Uh, when he's in his human form, he's played by John Grease or John Grise. I never knew which one it was I say Grise excellent actor he also played kind of a weird bat vampire werewolf thing in Fright Night 2 a great performance very funny he's excellent in this movie and then we have the creature um, one of the coolest designs for the creature from Black Lagoon ever or uh, aquatic fish man because there's not too many movies with the actual creature from Black Lagoon of course we have a cool mummy as well so you got like the heavy hitters in here unfortunately no invisible man but I don't know if he really fits with these guys uh, he's not exactly a monster monster right but uh, so essentially they come back and it's up to a group of kids who love monsters. Uh, you know, Sean and, uh, geez, uh, Eugene and a fat kid. Um, the name is Horace, Rudy. And they all have to kind of stand up against the monsters. Phoebe, the little, this little sister, of course, befriends Frankenstein. So in a weird way, like, we kind of introduce all these kind of tropes that are in the original, uh, you know, Universal Monster movies. And we kind of explore that, mix it with kids. The movie's all done in an hour and 22 minutes. It's so fast. It's so refreshing to see a movie. Tell a good story, tell a fun story, entertain the shit out of you, get everything it has to be done, not over-explain everything, not hit you over the head with everything, and get it all done in 82 minutes. This is why people love movies from the 80s. On top of them being good with special effects and just overall fun, their run times are good. That's why people pop in Return of the Living Dead or, or Monster Squad or Lost Boys for the hundredth fucking time. Because hey, it's just comfort food, it's short, it's sweet, it doesn't draw on. Somebody, there was an editor there. There was, a, there was a company by, hey, this is fucking long, isn't it? You know, they have to answer to somebody. So, um, regardless, the Monster Squad has amazing effects. Um, Stan Winston was a part of it, uh, telling his crew and everybody. Steve Wang is in there, Todd Woodruff. So many people working on this to recreate their take on the Universal Monsters as much as they could. So, uh, the special effects are excellent. Uh, there's so many touching moments in here. Totally underrated score. Not many people bring up the score, but the way it resonates and hits you hard. That's another thing about 80s films that I think really go a long way is that they all had wonderful scores. A lot of them did, and memorable scores too, and this one is one of them. Um, endlessly quotable, honestly. Uh, there's so many funny lines in here. Outdated lines, of course, uh, for a lot of people that, you know, it's 1987. You know what to expect, right? Even as a PG PG-13 movie, that's, these things happen. This is life. Um, overall, it, 4K, it looks excellent. Um, it sounds excellent. I was very happy to see it. Right in the beginning, I was like, oh, this looks really good. Very excited. Uh, another one of my favorite releases of the year. Just happy to have Monster Squad on 4K. This is another one that... Uh, <laughs> man, it's so crazy to think back in the day you couldn't even get a VHS. A fight tooth and nail for a VHS, man. We all did. We all wanted the Monster Squad and Return Down on VHS because they were out of print for so fucking long before DVD was a thing. I remember hunting for Monster Squad, hunting for Return of the Living Dead. They were hard to find. 
they didn't they weren't really readily available and that did the creeps as well you know i mean video stores you could rent them but then like after the video store started closing and you got you try to buy them and stuff like that but anyways uh monster squad looks great they kind of added phoebe on the cover here which i have no problem with I, I don't think she was there when they were taking the pictures but there's like i said there's just moments in this movie where it gives me chills uh frankenstein bogus at the very end um i'm in the goddamn club aren't i and this time around um i always loved it the name is horace gave me chills um with uh, the kid, uh, you know, uh, it's just kind of, but that also impacts because, you know, I know what happened to the kid as well. But anyways, an excellent movie with a lot of features here. We have Monster Squad Forever documentary, Conversation with Frankenstein, archival piece with Noonan, animated storyboard sequence, deleted scenes in still galleries, audio commentary by director Fred Decker and cinematographer Bradford May, audio commentary by Decker um, and actors uh, Andre Gower, Ryan Lambert, and Ashley Bank. And then, of course, um, we have the documentary on here, Wolfman's Got Nards. That's right, the feature-length documentary on here. So this bad boy was like $25. You get three discs, a um, bunch of features. You get it in 4K, and then you get an entire disc with Wolfman's Got Nards on here. It's the feature-length documentary of the Monster Squad. And, uh, you know, I had not seen this, but watching it, I was very happy to. And um, so basically, it's broken up in parts. We talk about, you know, the director and all this stuff. And, and hearing Fred Decker talk, and Shane Black, of course, wrote this too. Shane Black is in Pred he wrote a bunch of great movies lethal weapon and, and seeing fred decker and shane black talk it's like i just like these guys they feel genuine seem honest especially shane black man shane black is just seems like a cool guy man um and, and, and like i like what fred decker's like is this a cult film i don't really know what a cult film is and it's nice to hear somebody else admit that because cult film is so subjective and weird and the definition changes over years so you're like what the fuck is a cult film now right what white and and they a lot of people bring that up and that's kind of like the through line through the entire documentary and, and i like it but uh you know it breaks it up in parts and stuff. We have like the script, um, the beginning, and then we have we go into like um, the special effects, and that's really cool too to hear the special effects artists get to talk about all this stuff. And Steve Yang worked on the the fucking creature, and he directed the Giver, so it's like perfect guy man to direct the Giver later on. And it's just it's so cool to see all these people be giddy when they got to do the, the Universal Monsters, man. It's cool, and uh, and again, we we talk to the actors and. And the fans. There's a short piece about the fans, which I have no problem. I just don't like documentaries that are solely just fan-based. Like, it's a bunch of fans of the movie. Like, I saw this. It's like, that's good to have a part of it. But the entire documentary should not just be a fan-based, like, you know, jerk-off session. I know it sounds bad, but it really shouldn't. That should be, like, YouTube. This should be what you're watching, is that. Like, right? That's kind of what, that belongs on YouTube. Um, <laughs> not to be a dick, but a small part of the documentary, a part of it, yes, that's that's definitely a part of Monster Squad's history, right? Is the ravenous fan base that got this movie the attention to get put back out on DVD, and then of course Blu-ray and all 4K. So like that's really interesting to have that. But I what I like seeing was Andre Gower and Rudy and, and Ashley Banks playing. Um, I believe she's Ashley Banks who plays Phoebe, but interacting with the fans. They seem like such sweet people, such nice people. They go above and beyond to help these people out, and that's that's much much respect. Much love there. But overall, you know, they talk about the loss of Horace, um, the guy who played Horace, the kid, and that's so fucking sad. I got teary-eyed and just everything. They have family friends on there. Just overall, you know, it's exactly what it should be, a documentary about, you know, Monster Squad, all the things that you want to see about it. I'm um, just, overall, great release from Kino Lorber. Uh, great 4K. Um, love the Monster Squad. Love the release. Uh, 82 minutes of bliss. Great stuff. Okay, we're going to hop into those 1981 movies. Woe be unto him who opens one of the seven gateways to hell, because through that gateway, evil will invade the world.
Valentine's Day is a curse that'll live on and on. And no one will know as the years come and go of the horror from long time ago. In this little town, when the 14th comes round, there's a silence and fear in the air. Remember the morn that the legend was born, all the shock and the horror was there. Oh, the legend they say on a Valentine's Day is a curse that'll live on and on. And no one will know as the years come and go of the horror from long time ago. And no one will know as the years come and go of the horror from long time ago. All right, the first up, we're kind of getting into the nitty-gritty. We're getting some weird shit now. This is 1981 Indonesian film called Leech Wizard. Okay, so Leech Wizard, um, you know, I, I think I had AI subtitles on this, so they weren't amazing. There was a lot of weird shit going on. But what we have here is this guy is wronged. He's kind of, uh, or he feels like he's wrong. He's not actually wronged. I think he comes on to somebody and she turns him down. He gets mad. So he goes to this Leech Wizard. That's right, a Leech Wizard. Like it's a normal thing, but uh, he he talks to this lizard and the wizard curses his village. Um, it's very typical, you know. It's like you know how you have the wailing uh, from the South Korean film where they curses. Curses are such a big thing in Asian horror films. Japanese, Chinese, Hong Kong, Indonesian, Taiwan. Lots of curses in these films. Um, South South Korean too. And and, and this one is you know uh, so the village starts to get overtaken and what happens is it spreads kind of like people are comparing it to the Shivers by David Cronenberg and yes these leeches get into people and people almost I don't know if they're sexual but they come after you they come after you and it starts to spread and by the end of this movie there is like a horde of these leech people that are like they're just like they're like zombies and it's so weird this is actually a pretty cool film. I wish the subtitles were proper. I wish this had a nice release because this one could be a, a hidden gem. It's just so hard to tell when you're watching some crummy fucking third generation VCD on VHS, some shit, and, and whatever. But regardless, overall, I thought this was a pretty interesting one. I thought this was very cool, uh, very entertaining for what it is. Wish better picture quality and, and subtitles. But um, yeah, I love zombie films. I love the kind of take on the magic and the, the leeches. And it's just weird and bizarre. But uh, yeah, recommend Leech Wizard if you can find a copy. I think it's on YouTube. Next. Next up, we have Black Magic Wizard, another Indonesian horror film. And this one, I, I don't remember if I had AI subtitles in this one or not, but they weren't great either. So I think I did. So this is another one. And this one is a lot lesser than the previous Indonesian kind of curse horror film. Not to be confused with Queen of Black Magic, which came out uh, 81 as well, which is an excellent kind of Indonesian horror film. This one, Black Magic Wizard, is a bit different. And I know there's one called Black Magic as well. And probably, you know, uh, you know Black Wizard or whatever. I know... <laughs> So uh, regardless, this one is bizarre. We have this kind of uh, witch cu couple or whatever stealing this baby to raise it with their baby. And as they grow up, there's a lot of like back and forth magic play and fighting. This one was hard to follow. This one did not grab my attention. The subtitles were really bad. So overall, this one just kind of was a little lackluster, especially when you compare it to something like Leech Wizard when I was I was feeding in front of leeches and they weren't there. I got no leeches in this movie. No leeches at all. But uh, I, there probably is some leeches. It is Indonesian. There's slugs or eels or some shit. But, uh, you know, overall, this one just didn't do much 
watch for me. Um, and that's probably due to the quality and the subtitles lacking. And just the story just overall was a bit more confusing than um, the last one. Like the time jumps. I'm just, I'm just kind of lost for words on this one. Not much to say about Black Magic Wizard. Um, I can't really give it a fair review honestly i'm just maybe i'm just trying to watch too much at this point okay we have a couple in the katsu erotic films here we have uh female beautician rope discipline and this is by what heidi hero ito and he directed a couple of these movies and this actually stars um the same woman in the next film she's in the next film i'm going to talk about and she's in a um another movie from this year like uh, female torture rope hell the one where she like tries to break up a rape gets raped some guy uh, like sexualizes it kidnaps her puts her in the basement so this poor woman was like tied up in rope bondage from like 1980 79 to like 1981 82 she did like 16 films and most of them were in like 80 81 and most of them are like rope fetish nakatsu nakatsu erotic films kind of deal so this one here, we follow this woman who she's this is a good actress. I mean, like she's in all these movies, right? And the same things happen to her. So she's wandering through the subway, and there's like a fight, and this guy sticks up for her, helps her out, and so she kind of like becomes smitten with this guy. She starts to follow him, finds his place where he's home, and it turns out this guy is like a photographer, but he likes to tie up women in bondage. It's his fetish, and he has this this woman tied up, and he's getting off on it. And what happens is, um, she walks in on it, and she's pulsed but you know she starts to be kind of drawn to it he starts to kind of force it on her and there's another group of guys that are doing this same thing too that are into the young girl that he was tying up and it's like this weird feud and they basically tie her up and rape her and he comes in on it and he rapes her as well this is a japanese film lots of rape what happens is he starts a relationship with her find out the guy's wife turns back up and she wants him back and we have this whole weird love triangle of them competing who can who can take more torture while he does all sorts of weird things and they start to do enemas. And of course it's all going to end tragically for this guy as it should. Cause fuck this guy. But at the same time, if they're all into it, who knows if they're into it? I don't know. It's Japanese. Don't look at me. I don't know, but this is a pervert card for sure. Uh, definitely get your pervert card out, get your rope discipline cards out. A lot of rope bondage this year. I think that's just a typical Nakatsu film. Um, and you know, it's been a, a thing, since the 70s flower and snake there's so many of these japanese films that involve this rope bondage torture thing this one's actually pretty solid though the storyline and everything and the ending overall um i i it's listed as a horror film on letterbox i don't know what the fuck you'd call it otherwise but hey um a fetish film erotic kind of horror film erotic thriller whatever um but it is a female beautician and rope discipline or rope discipline. Sorry that, that they're all going to be kind of very similar titles here okay now we have another film same director same leader lead actress secretary rope discipline get your keep your pervert cards out don't put them in your wallet no you don't want to lose it you want to be, have it handy yeah get that out yeah read it yep okay uh so here we go secretary rope discipline now this one's a little bit different but very similar what we have here is this actress is told by her boyfriend that she needs to steal something from a rival company she gets caught doing it so the owner of this company there's like dress designs or whatnot um decides to torture the shit out of her and of course the rape rope bondage thing so that's a lot of that happening the son becomes infatuated with her and he starts doing a tattoo that's pretty much where I'll get at this one. This one I don't think is as strong as the other one, Female Beautician Rope Discipline. I feel like that movie has more story, has more, you know, I guess it's a little bit crazier and it's whatever it's doing. I think it does it better. This one I think is very similar, um, but the weakest of the three that I've watched with her in it from this year. 
Um, you know, I think that female, uh, what is it, rope hell, torture teacher rope hell is better. I think that female beautician rope discipline is better. So secretary rope discipline is the lowest of the three. Not horrible, but pretty much expected at this point. Maybe I'm all roped out. I don't know. Uh, but regardless, it is what it is. It's a pretty wild movie. All right, next up is the Patreon pick, and this is, of course, the wonderful movie directed by Charles Lawton, his only directed movie, Night of the Hunter from 1955, starring Robert Mitchum and Shelley Winters. So, uh, yeah, this is a, a great kind of movie here, a wonderful movie. I hadn't seen it in years. Watched it in film class, believe it or not. I do not have the 4K by Kino, but the Criterion Blu-ray is going to have to do. So, essentially what we have here is this kind of drifter, I would say serial killer, um, degenerate kind of... Uh, uh, religious fanatic in uh, Robert Mitchum. And uh, basically what he does is we kind of learn what he does throughout. Uh, we, we learn that he has like a sexual, he's impotent. We learn in the very beginning with this flick of the knife in the, you know, calling women dirty and filthy. But he's also like a religious, uh, I'd say, visionary or missionary killer. But he also is somebody that's going to benefit financially from it. Because, hey, how, how to spread the word of God without money? Love and Hate, of course, tattooed on his hands. Classic. Um, be used in many more movies after that, um, including Platoon and a couple others. But So regardless, Robert Mitchum ends up uh, meeting some guy in prison who recently just robbed a bunch of money and hid it. He's getting put to death. Mitchum wants to find out where this money is, so he learns as much as he can about this guy. And after he's put to death and he gets released, he goes and finds this guy's family. Shelley Winters is the, the matriarch of this family. And as the dad said, she's not too bright. That's why he entrusted the kid to where the money is. Um, there's also a, a young daughter. So um, I got to say that the kid acting in this is pretty excellent, especially from the young boy. He's just really good. He didn't do that many more movies after this, which is a shame, but he's just really excellent. And so Robert Mitchum kind of infiltrates his family and uh, he's just a weird guy. And uh, the neighbor ladies, in fact, she becomes like immediately likes him and the neighbor husband's kind of iffy on him. But he gives this whole speech about love and hate on his hands. And, and what happens is he marries Shelley Winters. And uh, before long, he does away with her. And we kind of have this this trail of this kind of uh, almost like road movie, you know, uh, Huckleberry Finn. The kids are on a, a ferry boat and there's this little boat basically trying to escape Robert Mitchum as he chases them through the dark, uh, wonderfully uh, wonderful night because it's the cinematography is great. It's not doesn't take place in the South, but man, this feels like Southern Gothic so much to me. Like it feels like the epitome of it, but it's not necessarily that. Um so what happens is, of course, the kids end up stumbling on this this nice woman um, who takes them in. And at first you think she might be a little ruthless. But over time, you kind of learn that Robert Mitchum is this dark side of religion, right? He's this guy that uses religion to get what he wants. He's, he's just a bastard. He's manipulated. He's, he's just awful. You know what I mean? He's just this monster, this dark side of religion, while the woman who takes him in is this light side of religion. You know, she she's this person that gives charity, that helps you know, with her heart. So it's like, it's definitely kind of saying that two sides of the coin, right? Uh, I think so at the very least as how people use it and whatnot. Um, Mitchum's excellent in it. He's always excellent in it. He's creepy. He's a coward. He's just, he does a great job. Shelley Winters is good too. Of course she's young. Um, uh, the, the, I don't know the actress who, who plays the, uh, the, the motherly figure later on and takes the kids in, but that's all really good too. And it, it's got a unique quality about it. I mean, the movie doesn't unfold like you should. I think some of that's probably maybe they couldn't get away with what they wanted to at times, but regardless, with their hands tied, they still made it interesting and excellent choices. Um, the cinematography is, 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 is wonderful. It's black and white. It's beautiful. Robert Mitchum's haunting. He's always singing. And uh, there's a great moment where he's outside the house and he's singing this kind of religious hymn and the woman starts singing 
upbringing too, even though she's waiting for them to kind of break in any minute and they're at each other's throats, but they share that bond, that religious bond, regardless, even if they're using religion, uh, right or wrong. You know what I mean? Like it's a weird thing to be. Uh, but I, I just, this is an excellent film. There's so many interesting layers about it and, and everything like that. I feel like a lot of this is on a set um, just because it's just so perfect, if that makes any sense. You know, the river and stuff and, and whatnot. Uh, the young actress is also great in here. And there's some comedy with the neighbors. I think they're great. And I love that uh, the, the, how the, the man starts to figure it out, too. There's just there's good moments, too. They don't show things, but they, they let you know the transitions where they say, you know, that horse thief killed so-and-so and took his horse. Maybe it was those gyp- Like, whatever. And then it cuts to Robert Mitchum on the horse. I'll go, shit. You know, like, just stuff like that. Just a good way to get around, like, gratuitous stuff and they do it perfectly it's a brilliant movie this there's a lot of good features on here i did check out some of it um as far as the features are concerned of course we have um audio commentary featuring second unit director terry sanders film critic fx feeney archivist robert gitt and arthur preston neil jones new documentary featuring featuring interviews with paul gregory uh, sanders freeney um, jones and author jeffrey couchman new video interview with lawton biography simon cowell clip from the ed sullivan show in which cast members form a scene deleted from the film 15 minute archival documentary about the film featuring robert mitchum archival interview with cinematography stanley cortez gallery of sketches by davis grubb author of the source material the source novel okay an original theatrical trailer disc two we have charles lawton directs night of the hundred two and a half hour treasure trove of outtakes behind the scenes footage new video conversation between git and film critic leonard malton about charles lawton directs we have a book a book uh featuring essays by critics terence rafferty and michael uh sargro so yeah lots of great stuff here if you've never seen night of the hunter this is like one of those movies that like if you're in film class they should show you night of the hunter and like it's just it's it's just one of those ones that you got to see um i love it uh revisiting it it's a it's a perfect movie 10 out of 10 what can i say always thought it was great uh always stuck with me always remembered it um and i've, I've always liked robert mitchum um he's just got a great screen presence he's always does a great job um ever since i've seen him i've always enjoyed him and this is one of his best performances a scary performance right but uh excellent release uh i, I definitely will pick up the 4k when i get a chance to rewatch it but uh if you've never seen out of the hunter it, it's a must all right, let's get these questions, comments, concerns. Uh, Stephen Hyde, another great video. Thank you. Movie Junkie Reviews 84. The Devil's Partner Feels Like a Lost Twilight Zone. That it does. Fetish Magic. Arrow Video has 50% off sale at Barnes & Noble today. So we're probably picking up the Shenglinger Nasty Little Picture, The Day of the Locust. Great review, Mr. Parker. Thank you. Uh, it's a great film. Uh, what is this? In Doral Leal, uh, if you need some stuff to watch, the latest Hell House LLC Origins was creepy good. Also like Raging Grace, but When Evil Lurks is my favorite of the year. Um, Haman, uh, Hamak, uh, Cutter. Malum is one worth watching if you haven't already seen it and maybe beaten to death. Uh, Dada Debaser didn't find 2023 a great year for film, to be honest. There were some new, no- there were notable highlights, however. No One Will Save You, Godzilla Minus One, The Royal Hotel, When Evil Lurks, Talk to Me, Unwelcome, Tetris, Candyland, Lola, Inside the Passenger. Thank you. Mr. Uh, Manchin, um, Hey, did you subscribe this year to Vinegar? Hope you're feeling better, man. Thank you. Yes, I did. Um, Quint150, have you done a review of Liquid Sky? Interesting oddity. No, I have not. I do have the Blu-ray here, though. 
um, Ilk Vomit. Hopefully when the Blu-ray comes out of Thanksgiving, it will have the option to watch the movie with the Grindhouse filter applied to it. Really wish it was just released like that, to be honest. Also, I feel like the only thing it was really lacking was some good nudity. Trampoline scene, the trampoline scene wasn't as cool as it was in the fake trailer. No doubt, no doubt. The Nick Mua from Belgium. Can't believe it's been close to 20 years since The Chronicles of Narnia. Scary how time flies. I was so excited for that back then because I love the books. There are seven. So much. The style is different from Tolkien's, even though C.S. Lewis and Professor Tolkien were close friends, apparently. I'd rather like the film back in the early 2000s. Your point of view is largely correct. I also believe oversaturation on the fantasy market doomed this franchise. I hope they adapt all the books one day, starting with book one, The Magician's Nephew, where we meet the old professor as a naughty schoolboy. Questions. Were you unsettled the first time you saw Rosemary's Baby? As I get older, the film creeps me out more and more. Um, no. I saw it probably... 10 years ago or something like that and I wasn't uh, too unsettled by it but as I get older a lot more movies do unsettle me than they did before do you have any memories of working with Nathan Barrett uh, uh, Barrett uh, the villain from Plank Face he gave you a positive shout out on a horror podcast oh cool I, d- I didn't know which which podcast by the way um, uh, do you have any positive or memories yeah I mean we I only was on there for a couple days I remember I stayed with Jason Hynight and his wife and they're both really nice they're both in the film as well and Nathan came and he stayed there as well. Um, and I remember I brought my weights, my my, because he worked out a lot too. I brought my like curl bar and everything. And he was like, "Oh, old school stuff." And I was just like, "No, this is just my stuff." <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Because he wanted to work out too. But like, I think that I, I guess a lot of people aren't used to just carrying around a curl bar with them when they go places. But I was, a, I'm a weird guy. But no, he was nice. He was cool. I, I think he was a, a vegan. Um, yeah, I think he was. I remember that somewhat. But uh, yeah, I, the wrestle, the scene where we have to attack each other in the woods was pretty intense. Um, I think I accidentally choked him too hard um, at first. And um, I, I know, I remember he was doing the slapping of my ear and he hit my fucking ear. And I was like, oh, man, because one of my ears is fucked. So like, it's funny to think like that, but it was, it was totally an accident. And then after that, I think that um, I was just like, I'm just going to fake choke and you just react. And that's how we did it. But no, um, cool guy i only got to be hang out with him for a little bit but you know we were busy pretty much the entire time i was only on the movie for a couple days but yeah nice guy that's that's pretty much all the memory i have of him uh no no problems i don't really have any problems with anybody i work with for the most part do you think your character charlie from Batman could defeat lulu wilson's Be- and Lu- lulu wilson's becky i mean becky killed like 20 like a bunch of people i don't know um i have no idea honestly Probably not. Probably not. In movie logic, I, I think that Becky is in a, a in a less realistic world than the Batman, probably. I didn't see Wrath of Becky, and I know she probably kills even more people than that, but probably not. She killed the Kurgan man from wrestling. Lastly, my recommendations for 2023 horror movies, The Wrath of Becky, nice fault to the original, Lulu Wilson is excellent as per usual, Knock of the Cabin, rather enjoyed it, uh, one of M. Night Shyamalan's better efforts through the perhaps not saying much, Godzilla Minus One, it's back to the basics with the latest kaiju film, proper character development, good effects, they don't overwhelm the story like the latest U.S. versions. Hope the 2023 recommendations bring you thrills and chills rather than boredom and frustration. Catch you later. Thank you. Keeg666, if you haven't seen Talk to Me or No One Will Save You, they're both excellent from 2023. Tim Hayes, that's cool you got the new Mondo, got Mondo New York, I'm hoping for a Blu-ray of Tunnel Vision is coming soon since both films are International Harmony slash Stuart Shapiro productions of Night Flight. Me too. That sounds cool. I'm, I'm not too familiar with it, but keep them coming. And then Smudge, uh, recommendations of 2023. Cobweb, talk to me. 
Bo is Afraid, Infinity Pool, Dark Harvest, Godzilla Minus One, Evil Dead Rise. Uh, also, No One Will Save You, The Last Voyage of the Demeanor, Suitable Flesh. All those sound interesting, if I haven't seen them already. Ilk Vomit, 88. I really like Cobweb and Last Voyage. It was a lot of fun. Dave needs to add those to the watch list for show. Fat Pig, The Conqueror. I think the comedian in New York Ripper was Charles Barrett, uh, Barnett. Uh, he was oh, supposed to be on SNL but couldn't read well, so they hired Eddie Murphy. I enjoyed DC Cab, which I recommend. Yeah, um, he probably was the other one. The other one I was like Rick Av- Avils, whatever from uh you know ghost and uh the stand way up dude um gives me a smiling face and a heart thank you and lapa what is that uh labo you you mean can uh the way they do it now on youtube is so annoying i can't i see your name and it's all in one smudge but basically uh decadence something hey mr parker happy bladed healthy 2024 have you ever seen the belgium cult mockumentary movie man bites dogs from 92 or the may also made in belgium comedy horror movie rabid grannies from 88 if not they're worth a watch greetings from belgium yes i've seen man bites dog it's brilliant rabid grannies i covered uh, a little bit ago and i enjoy it. it's very fun but i appreciate the recommendations ken coakley uh it looks like severin is looking good again uh, Della Morte, Della Morte is a favorite, uh, my favorite Michele Suave film. Stage Fright is a close second. The packaging, packaging of all the Blu-rays looks amazing. Second's really good as well. Herbert Lam never disappointed. So Suave should have a long career. He seemed to be in line to join Argento, Fulci, and Bava, Lamberto Bava, to be a huge Italian horror director. Even as an actor, he showed talent. I thought he was the best character, one of the best characters in Demons. In the beginning of Demons, after he gives Natasha Hovey the movie pass, he walks away with a kind of swagger that a lot of American college kids had when they walked. He was also great in the scene in the projection booth when they tried to destroy the film you could see him on the theater screen in the background it looked like he was watching them the scene reminded me of something that is slightly off topic i worked at a movie theater from 86 to 90 in fact i was hired september 27th it was the same day metallica bassist cliff burton was killed my birthday as well anyway the projectionist owned my childhood theater and ran movies for steve um were you hired in 86 you were hired on my birthday in 86 i was born september 27 1986 that's cool uh and ran movies for uh he's like Anyways, the projectionist owned my childhood theater and ran movies for Steve uh, Missianian, a Boston-based theater owner who financed The Last House on the Left was well Friday 13th and distributed Mark of the Devil. Don't look in the basement, among others. Going up to bring film canisters was a big treat for me. The whole place was wallpapered with horror exploitation movie posters. I would notice certain posters I hadn't seen before. The door had Critters poster on it. We had six screens, which meant six projectors, so they were pretty spread out. When I... Oop. Here we go. Sorry, guys. When I went up there for the first time, I thought I died and went straight to heaven. He had posters for Andy Warhol's Frankenstein, Flesh and the Fiends, Raw Meat, Fitz, Fritz the Cat. It just went on. I regret not taking pictures. Back to the update. I want to get Raiders of the Living Dead. The star of the film, uh, Scott Schwartz, was also in A Christmas Story as well as a toy with Richard Pryor. The director, Samuel Sherman, produced Al Adamson's films and distributed horror films from the Philippines through Hem- Hemisphere Pictures. He also distributed Paul Nash's uh, Frankenstein's Bloody Terror. Sherman does audio commentary in all his films. The problem is that he is such a great storyteller that I always want to... I always watch the movies with the commentary on. I would li- also like to get Mark of the Vampire Blu-ray. I'll get it whenever I get out of this place so I can watch it with my projector. Black and white on the big screen is gorgeous. Thanks for the nice comment, man. Good comment. Good information, too. Uh, Bobby D., I really enjoyed Spoonful of Sugar, Perpetrator, El Conte, and Appendage. Art Figueroa. In regards to Narnia, if you don't know the books, then sure. In fairness, most literary adaptations have the same problem, making assumptions that you're invested in the world. Didn't read the Narnia books until I, after I was 25, and then I read them in publication order as one did back in the day, until it became fashionable to read them in chronological order. LWW being published uh, first, and actually the proper way to read them, there's all sorts of Christian allegory in Narnia books. Ashlan is the Christ figure. Yeah, the, the lion. 
And I, and the, all kinds of humor like Always Winter and Never Christmas or the craziness of the Talking Beavers. But yes, Dave, the fact that the movie didn't entice you is a failure of the movie. I also love the idea of the deeper magic, which is a reference to natural law and really is pre-Christian idea, which I feel is very profound. And C.S. Lewis shines in the natural law aspect. Whereas I think his Christian uh, apologetics are hit or miss. In his other work, there is much to appreciate about Lewis, even if the movie was not great. But I think it was good enough. And let's just say most people came to it as you did, because the books were never finished as movies. But again, I am not saying at all that your review is not fair, a fair perspective. And he gives uh, basically a link to talk about them and whatnot uh, with Tolkien and Lewis' friendship. So, you know, I understand. I, I think it is just kind of a part of it's dated now. And I, I, even in 2005, I might have had issues, right? Because I didn't read the books. But now watching it and like it's seeing it, it's just kind of a dated process all in all. And I understand, you know, it's, it's also not made for me. I don't think it's a terrible movie. It's just that this, at this day and age, Chronicles of Narnia is not my thing. Maybe they'll make a new one. Maybe I'll be interested. I don't know. There's a possibility. Um, but let's get into the Patreon picks here. I'm going to draw five names. Um, again, if you haven't been drawn out in a while, let me know. What do we got here? We got two here. Derek B. A Pure Formality, 1994. I don't even know why I show it. Like, you guys think I'm cheating here. Um, Tone Joker, The Innkeepers, uh, Ty West. I've actually never seen The Innkeepers. How bad is that? What else do we got? Dom, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. Uh, Dom, give me another one because I've already seen Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, but I'll draw out an extra name. I've covered that on here. And I'll cover it again, damn it. I'll just, uh, but what do we got? Two more. Eau Claire, Labyrinth. Um, we're talking about the uh, David Bowie one. Ooh, Jason Willard. Guzerarish? Is that an Indian film? And we're going to do one more just in case Dom doesn't get back to me. Eau Claire, Pulp Fiction. Did I never cover Pulp Fiction on here? I guess I probably never did. Uh, maybe there's a 4K, I'll order it. But Pulp Fiction, why not? <laughs> Tarantino classic. But uh, yeah, um, we're out of here. I don't have an update, guys, so this is it. All right, guys, thank you very much for watching. And as always, have a good one. Peace.